0: VA Health and Benefits, official mobile app for VA Health and Benefits. VA's official mobile app is a smarter, more convenient way for veterans to manage and carry their VA Health and Benefits information. One veteran notes, I went into my local hardware store and logged into my VA mobile app. A quick glance at my phone showed them I was a veteran, and I was able to get the veteran discount without any paperwork it was easy and convenient. Download the app via the Apple Store at https colon forward slash forward slash apple dot co forward slash three uppercase J lowercase b lowercase k nine uppercase o lowercase l or Download the app via the Google Play Store at https colon forward slash forward slash bit dot ly forward slash 3 uppercase q 5 lowercase q 9 uppercase l 5. <music>
1: Hello and welcome, this is Oscar Mike Radio, I'm the host, my name is Travis, Oscar Mike Radio is part of the Hoobazoo Network, you can find out more on hoobazoo.com. I want to thank my sponsors, Joyce ASEC of ASEC Real Estate, Army National Guard Veteran Mark Holmes of Reapers Detailing and Power Washing, and my veteran-owned business supporters Semper Savage, Bottom Gun Coffee, and Kason Shaving Company. Thank you, I appreciate it. So this is a follow-up to, you know, my show about Denisha Montgomery and the story you're hearing from the people that are truly in the trenches, on the ground, trying to drive this forward about this story. And they've graciously given their time to expand more on this. If you're a listener supporter, this is one of these types of situations where you can help us affect real change. I want to introduce Amy Frank. To Oscar Mike Radio, Amy, thank you for your time.
2: Thank you for having us. I really appreciate the space and, you know, bringing awareness to this topic and these tragedies.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, one of the things when Lakija reached out to me is, you know, this sounds like Vanessa again. This sounds like the Gomes family situation in Brockton, Massachusetts. This seems to be a pattern now that, that you, you just can't ignore unless you choose to. So before we get into the Indonesia case, though, I'd like to have you explain how you got into, uh, you know, military sexual trauma advocacy, your organization, and, and how you operate Please, Amy
2: Absolutely. So I have been working as a professional in crimes against people since 2006 from a child abuse investigator, forensic interviewer. Ran Child Advocacy Centers with pediatric sexual assault exam rooms um, and then started working with the Department of the Army in 2012 and worked for them for 10 years before I resigned after whistleblowing on uh, two separate sexual assault misconduct issues that resulted in two two two-star generals being removed um, and losing rank. So... um, I I then started Never Alone Advocacy um, because Gold Star Families started reaching out to me and asking me if we would help their families try to figure out what happened to their children. And I was getting bombarded with requests. And I said, oh, I have to make this more organized so I can actually be effective. And I modeled my um, nonprofit after um, the nonprofits that I ran before, um, dealing with children and sex trauma
1: so so a gold star family member approaches you saying you know something happened to our son or daughter we're not getting what we think we need i mean they actually had to come to you about that
2: yes so january 10th of 2020 or January 11th, excuse me, of 2020, I had an AP article that came out about um, some young service members in the U.S. Army Reserve Command out of Illinois that were being sexually assaulted and they were doing internal investigations. And so when that news story broke... Um, A lady by the name of Debbie Robinson contacted me and said, can you help me? My daughter Morgan was raped and then gang raped by 10 special forces guys during uh, a deployment in Afghanistan and we can't get any answers and she, they say she took her own life. Um, And then she went on to say, and also my friend Stacy, they say her daughter hung herself after she was kept in Korea for 82 days in the same barracks with her rapist after she Asked for an XY transfer. And I was like, how could you say no to that request for help, right? So I started helping them and more sexual assault victims, uh, domestic violence, um, murder, murder by suicide. And I say murder by suicide because sometimes they are suicides. Because the command hasn't done their job to protect these young men and women to make sure that they aren't victims of retaliation after they're victims of a crime and the environment's so toxic and they can't leave. So sometimes they do kill themselves in order to get relief because legally they can't leave because the the military owns their body.
1: It's not the same situation, but I had on MST survivor Heath Phillips from the U.S. Navy who... Descended into alcoholism and went AWOL because of his trauma and he'd Absolutely. rather he, he he said it was preferable to do that than to stay on the ship anymore just go back a little bit and kind of explain to us what a forensic um interviewer does uh, that's a term you've used a couple of times i'd like to unpack that if we could
2: Oh, absolutely. So I was trained um, by the FBI to forensically interview victims of violent crime. So you you give victims a safe space and you ask them non-leading questions and you allow them to share what happened to them in in an organic trauma-informed way. um, And we're not rapid fire questioning them like law enforcement does sometimes, like Victims feel interrogated. You know it's open into questions. You know tell me more about that. And so they just have a safe, you know free flow where it's them talking instead of you directing the conversation.
1: And what's it like you're sitting there and 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 you you, you have not served in the military, correct?
2: No, I'm a daughter, granddaughter, and mother of veterans. Um, My father actually told me never to put on the uniform because I don't mind well enough. He
1: said, that will court-martial you. (laughs) Gee, thanks, Dad. Okay. (laughs) But on, on a personal level, just out of curiosity, what's going through your mind as you're trying to very professionally sit there and get the information and you're hearing these stories that, you know, seem to too strange to even be real if that makes any sense
2: well when something is seems outrageous it's because it's probably true because most human beings aren't like Stephen King, you know, they don't have that vivid imagination to make up these things. So, especially you know, when victims and young children are telling you these very specific, detailed things about human anatomy, about um, sexual experiences that they shouldn't organically know unless they experience that other human being doing those crimes to their bodies, you, you know that they're being truthful, right? I had one little child that said that the the man made them put his penis in their mouth and the stuff that came out tasted like poop. And the law enforcement officer said, well, that doesn't even make sense. I said, well, think about what a five-year-old would think is the grossest thing in the world, poop. And so that person's ejaculation to them tasted like poop. And, you know, when when you understand, you know, where victims are at and what how old they are and where they are at their social and emotional maturity, then you understand why people would describe things a certain way. Um, and not having that trauma-informed background when you're talking to even adults that are victims of trauma, they don't remember everything the way you remember something happy because their brain is actually trying to protect itself and so some of the things are get put in a in a memory box that's hidden and so if you're not given a safe space to to talk and you don't feel safe your your memory is going to be all jumbled and you're not going to be able to you know, detail something out the way people think you should
1: so as you're talking one thing that comes to mind is and I, I didn't serve that long in the Marine Corps and I wasn't a staff NCO or even a 04, 03, and above. But it just strikes me that in in the leadership that was around me, they weren't trained to listen and ask the questions in the way that you are. And I'm not I don't know about NCIS because I served in the Marine Corps. I don't know how they're trained, but it seems to me that if you're not trained to Provide the safe space and counsel to that service member coming at you. It's it's going to be ineffective right from the get go.
2: Well, yes. So I I have given my professional opinion to the, the military that um, survivors of domestic violence, sexual trauma, child abuse, they they should go get a, a full medical assessment first. They should have a medical provider reassure them that they're safe, that their bodies are fine, that they've not been exposed to sexually transmitted infections, that they don't have, uh, you know, an unwanted pregnancy as a result of a sexual trauma, that they're properly taking their bodies are properly taken care of, and and that they understand that their their bodies are okay, and and then allow them to feel safe and get a good night's rest and be around people that get them to feel safe, right? That they feel protected again. And once that is done, then bring them to a trauma-informed, safe place, not not a law enforcement center, not a place where people are toting around guns and badges, with a nice soft area, you know, that is calm and conducive to a trauma-informed conversation. And allow them to, to talk to somebody. Then have the, the criminal investigators on the other side of the glass with the prosecutors, with the team listening, and and do it the proper way. I mean, this is scientifically proven to give better results for interviews for trauma victims. Children and adults.
1: Children and adults. And you've done this for a while now. I mean, when we first Mm -hmm. met, this wasn't like you've done this for a year or two. You have done this for over a decade, easy.
2: Oh, no. I started doing, working with crime victims from children to adults since
1: 2006.
2: Okay. So we're what, 18 years? 18
1: years. Yeah. 18 years. Mm -hmm. So what happened to me is I got, you know, involved with this through Lakeetra Houston reached out to me about this and I looked at this and remind me of the Vanessa Ginn case, remind me of um, uh, the Gomes family's uh, situation in Brockton, Massachusetts, right next to me where he, you know, died by hanging, but there was conflict there. How did you get involved with Denisha Montgomery's case, Amy?
2: So, Um, one of my gold star mothers, her name is Stacy Burnham. Um, her daughter, um, was one of the ones that, you know, they didn't give her an expat transfer in Korea. And, you know, I I still have a, a pause if, if Nicole actually killed herself or not. Um, there's still some things within that investigation that are, are as well, very sketchy to me. Um, but her case is cold, so it's harder, right? Um, but I urge anybody that knows anything about the death of Nicole Burnham and her sexual assaults in Camp Casey, Korea, to reach out for sure. Um, because there's there's no statute of limitations on murder. Um, so Stacy is a gold star mom and she saw the Denisha Montgomery family. And Tamika, the aunt, actually reached out to Stacy and said, you know, who what do you think? Who should we go to? You know, family to family. And Stacy said, You should call Amy. And Stacy at three in the morning. She never texts me at three in the morning. I woke up to a text from her at three in the morning. She said, "Will you please call this this woman's aunt?" And I did because I don't normally do that, but because Stacy asked me to, I did. And I just told Tamika who we were and what we do. And I said, "Listen, you don't have to go with my advocacy group or the pro bono attorneys that." That we can grab for you but my advice to you is that you need a strong advocacy group immediately and you need a lawyer immediately if you believe that this is going sideways you need intervention and you need professionals to assist you because you guys are dealing
1: with some significant traumas and and what happened after that i mean because you know, they're obviously in trouble.
2: That was like on the, that was on the 11th of August. And then um, on the 14th of August, the family uh, signed officially on for advocacy with my nonprofit, um, Never Alone Advocacy. And at that point, I I already knew they were going to need a lawyer. And um, Lindsay and I had worked together on some other things. And I just thought that she would be a good fit for this family. She's very compassionate Understands the problems set and um, has a really strong work ethic, and she and I <laughs> are uh, rebel rousing to to the early hours of the morning and the late hours of the night. So,
1: so you 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 got the call. You reached out to Lindsay. How does Lechidra Houston figure into uh, all of this? Because that's how I heard of this is through Lechidra.
2: Well, you know the family was really. Looking for somebody to help them, and they were, you know, kind of cross talking between myself and Lakedra, and I said, "Listen, you just need to pick an advocate, whoever you want." And Lakedra and I and I spoke, and she was like, "Well, you know, I've only done this a few times." I said, "Well, if you want to do it with us." Then you can sign on as one one of our advocates, and we can work all together. I mean, because together we all have more. I mean, there's a there's plenty of work in this space. There's not, unfortunately, there's not a lack of of victims of military sexual trauma and domestic violence to assist. And so, Lakeisha signed on to do advocacy work under the umbrella of Never Alone, and you know we we started moving forward. I mean. It, This case to me is just so insane, because immediately, you know, then we get information that there's other, another MP that's a victim of sexual violence. And, you know, I was requested to advocate for her, um, by her. And I emailed the four star general at US Army Europe Africa, which is General Darrell Williams, who left as the commandant of West Point and now is there, but had previously, when I was working for the military, been my boss at U.S. Army Africa. So I emailed him and told him my concerns and the report of rape of this other military police officer and my concerns of what was going on with Denisha Montgomery Smith's case and the attack on 19 July. And that it was odd to me that that the military kept saying no foul play. Well, how is there no foul play when four other military police officers violently assault, suffocate, and strangulate somebody 21 days before she's found deceased? I mean, there's a 13-minute and 46-second video call to her family, and they're like, nothing to see over here. Don't look this way.
1: I watched part of that, and I'm like, okay, that's that's not enough smoke to get— Look for the fire. I mean, you can just whitewash that and pretend like it didn't happen. That was really uh, mind-boggling.
2: Well, I, I I do do not understand it, and you know, then because of my email, and, and my two, my retired two-star general called the deputy director of CID, and that's how the aunt and the sister were taken to Fort Campbell, Kentucky. To the CID office to be talked to, because we had all of these people reaching out and asking people for information.
1: I'm sitting here with Amy Frank, who you know advocates and and, and does this nonprofit for military sexual trauma victims. We're talking about the Denish Montgomery, Denisha Montgomery case. Excuse me. You know, like I asked Lindsay, will ask the for those watching and listening to this right now, what do you need us to do to help you all keep this in the limelight?
2: Well, there's multiple things. Um, we we the social media is been essential to getting the spotlight and the awareness on these cases. Um, tag your senators and your Congress people and ask them what is going on with the national security crisis that we have in our United States military that we cannot retain or recruit service members because we cannot keep them safe. Um, It is very dangerous that, you know, if you look at during the time where Vanessa Guillen was murdered at Fort Hood, Lieutenant General Pat White had more service members die in Texas on American soil on a base than he did when he was at that same time deployed forward during Operation Inherent Resolve. So if you're a three-star general and you have more soldiers dying on U.S. soil than you do in the Middle East during a deployment, then he, we should not trust his ability to command. We need, you know, the, the fish rots from the head. Yeah. We're always worried about these low level, you know, specialist and what they're doing. I want to know what, you know, General Milley, when he was at Fort Hood, he had over 300 rapes a year and then he got promoted. Now, why is this happening? Three and four star generals are political appointees. They're appointed by the president. The president is the only one that can remove them. They're not promoted, they're appointed. Your senators can put a check mark next to the names of these generals and they won't get promoted and they won't get retired. They won't be able to retire until they give these families answers. But no, very rarely is a Senator have enough rebel rouse in them to put a check mark. Senator Blackburn did it over the VA and got some answers. Put a check mark. You, you start messing with their retirement ability to retire, their ability to promote, they'll start telling us the truth. Our tax dollars pay their salary pay their retirement. Our tax dollars pay our senators and congressmen's retirement, salaries, medical, all the things. They owe us as America answers. And they definitely owe these veterans answers and they owe these gold star families answers, not pages and pages of blacked out information. The only national security crisis is the lack of transparency in our military. And telling somebody the truth about how their loved one died is not going to affect our ability to defend ourselves against Russia and China. What's going to affect our ability to do that is not keeping our service members safe so they are fit to fight.
1: Yeah, because that's the thing, you know, it's not in writing, but it's implied very strongly that when a parent's You know see their child go into the military that and and they watch their son or daughter take the oath that that oath actually means something all enemies foreign domestic you know i will serve my country and and the recruiter says that parent you know we're going to make sure that that you know soldier sailor air force marines taken care of and it's not and then i sit there and read these articles where the army and the military can't figure out why they can't attract, retain people. And I'm like, well, it's not too hard to see. So like I told Lindsay, you know, know, we're going to use this platform to maximum effect, to make sure this doesn't die down because, you know, we as veterans find out that the only people that can advocate for us is us. And my promise to you, Amy, is that if you mess with one of us and Denisha got killed, you miss all of us, and and so you have you have an advocate here, and you know, speaking of peacetime deaths, you know I I buried three of my fellow Marines, I always thought about it that you know there was no memorial for them, there was no you know parade for them, but in a way, peacetime deaths were more tragic than the wartime deaths that makes any sense because
2: well 100 because you go to war you go deployed and you know that you might come back not come back right. like you're going with the mindset of i am going for this mission for my country and if i don't come back this is this is why there's a purpose for it right i'm going to die purposefully you know in honor of my country in defense of my country you know but it's even you know with denisha's case you know, Major General Menez sat across the table from us at late September and said that he could supervise alleged offenders and or grieving service members that had M-16s and M-9s. So said, you can supervise people with their finger on the trigger with the amount of suicide that we have in our military right now, even if they didn't murder her, okay? I'll live in the military's narrative. Even if the, they did not murder her, she had a a service weapon up until the date of death. So if all of these NCOs have been coming out of the woodwork, that, that oh, we knew she was suicidal, why'd she have a gun? And if you believe that these four other MPs didn't do anything wrong, and you have evidence to prove that, I, we'd like to see it, number one, we'd like the FBI to have some oversight here. Why, if you believe they're so traumatized by the death of their friend, why do they have guns? The Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin has authored a memo this past March that said we have the highest rate of suicide in our military, but yet you're letting alleged offenders and or grieving victims or people with active suicidal ideations walk around with M16s and M9s. Are you kidding me? Yeah. The, I mean, the president, as much as he talks about gun control and gun violence and all of the things, I mean, we've already had one of those MPs shoot the battalion commander at Fort Bragg. We had the Fort Hood shooting with Hassan. I mean, do we need more gun violence on our military installations? We had that young kid at Fort Jackson just recently that got on a school bus. I mean, he was surrounded by drill sergeants, and he was able to escape off the base with a gun and get on a school bus. The level of narcissism to tell me that you can supervise four MPs with an M16 and M9 is the most ridiculous statement I've ever heard.
1: I hope to help you in some way get to the bottom of this. And, you know, I don't know Denisha. I don't know her family, but but I do know that she served and that's enough for me. So, you know, this will not be the last time we speak about this. Uh, If you have people that, you know, can are part of this, and they want to talk to me, they're welcome to come on here. And like I told Lindsay- Letters are going to start going out to my senators and my state every month. And I'm going to encourage other veterans to do the same thing.
2: Yes. Yeah, so and we, we're we happy to, you know, provide like a form letter with all of the details of the case that people want to sign on. Um, if people are interested in that, a, any way to, to get, the word out you know i i was on the phone with senator grassley's office yesterday on the because he's the ranking republican on the judiciary committee i said can you please put in a request he said well, we'll just yield to what senator gillibrand finds out i said no she's on the personnel committee of the sas i said i want a judiciary committee person because we have judicial obfuscation yeah. we're, we're alleging that there's possible collusion and cover-up within the judicial process So I would like you, sir, to ask. I want these senators to show us they care instead
1: of saying that they care. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. You know, I've learned a whole lot through this and I hope to be of value. And, you know, it's my promise to you all. So uh, we will talk again. We appreciate
2: you. Thank you so much. And I just want to end with this. Denisha was a mom with three young boys, eight, three, and two. She was only 27 years old. She had her children very young and believed that the military was going to give her family a better life. And it just gives me pause as to the suicide narrative, that this young mother would work so hard to give her children a better life and leave them with no answers.
1: Yeah, yeah. quickly, just a follow-up to that, thank you, is from all appearances it seems like not only was she a great mom but she her husband really supported her career in the army and she had a loving family that is without their mother and a wife and it's really tragic to see and it's hard to believe the suicide narrative at this point
2: yeah it really is and and those those boys i i've seen pictures of them you know just kissing the computer screen of their mom's face you know they're so traumatized, yeah. so traumatized. But thank you for your time and your dedication to bringing awareness and showing the veteran community. And you know, we we really just want our military for, to be safe for all to serve. That,
1: that's, all we can ask for. that's all we can ask for. We have
2: so many good people in our military. I don't want the bad apples to spoil it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. One hundred percent. Thank you very much. And thank be you. In touch. I want to thank you for joining me and watching Oscar Mike Radio. Now go to OscarMikeRadio.com and click shop to check out all the cool merchandise from Authentically American. All proceeds go to veteran service organizations. We are Mission in Flight.